0: You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. This podcast series is based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And thank God we win in Christ. You know, what uh, began as a honor to George Floyd uh, has really turned into a discussion on race and race, race relations and racism in the church. And this is our part three, and my title for part three is Slavery, Christianity, Black Self-Hate, and White Folk Looting. Now, one of my uh, Facebook friends said, Pastor, that's a, long, that's a long title you got there. Well, if I shorten it, it would be an honest discussion on race and race relations an honest discussion on race and race relations. I put the whole thing out there because I wanted people to see where we were going in this, the four buckets that we're going to cover today. Now, this is an attempt by me to educate and to challenge. I want to educate blacks and whites, and especially I'm talking to the church and I want to, educate pastors, uh, and and I'm talking about everybody here. Uh, I'm going to use words like black Christians, white Christians, black church, white church, And I realize, and I want to say this up front, I realize that there is no such thing in the kingdom as a black church and a white church, but we're talking about race, okay? So I'm using those terms. I do not believe that every person, white person, is a racist or black person is a racist. So listen carefully to the whole thing, and I believe that it's going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to also mention that, that N-word, nigger, in uh, this discussion, but only in the context of, of slavery. So I believe it's going to be a blessing. So we're going to just take off right now. Part three, the theme of part three is accountability. Accountability simply means to hold responsible for actions, and we've learned In part one, that accountability creates trust and support and a lack of accountability erodes trust and support. I have two major PowerPoints as a part of the introduction. The first PowerPoint is racism can occur at both an unconscious and conscious level. And can be both active and passive. My second power statement is no persons, listen carefully, no persons can have a deep, honest, relevant, and transformative discussion without a knowledge of history. That that power statement is so very important, (coughs) pardon me, that I want to give it to you again. No persons can have a deep, honest, relevant, and transformative discussion without a knowledge of history. Most of our discussions, blacks and whites talking about uh, racism, is surface, is surface, is rhetoric, because we don't know history. With that being said, let's jump into my buckets. I got four buckets I'm going to talk about slavery, then I'm going to move to Christianity, then, then I'm going to move to black self-hate, and then I'm going to move to white folk looting. Each one of these buckets are huge, so I may move fast in one area, in one bucket and slow down in another bucket, but I want to get all the information out. Remember now, you can ask questions. Your questions are important. We'll record your questions. I'll answer some of them today, some of them in the last uh, a subject that I'm going to teach next week. And then we're going to have one or two sessions where I won't come in with a planned lesson. We'll just answer questions and you, you can disagree. You can have statements and we're going to spend at least one or two sessions where we just talk about what you're thinking and about what you want to know. It may be about what we talked about, or it may be about something totally different. But we're going to have one or two sessions where we just deal with it. So if I don't answer all your questions today, don't worry about it. We're going to get it. Let's talk about slavery. Slavery. Let's talk about God's position on slavery. Exodus 21, verse 16, the King James Version says, and he that stilleth a man and selleth him or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. That's Exodus 21, verse 16. In Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 7, the King James Version says, if a man be found stealing any of his brethren or of the children of Israel, and make merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die and they shall put evil away from among you. So when we look at the Bible in a true manner, we see that God opposed slavery from the very beginning. He never endorsed it. He, ne- he calls it, he used words like stealing a man. He used words like selling. He used words like stealing. He used words like merchandise. He used words like shall die. He calls slavery evil. That's God's position on slavery. Now, slavery, though, was historically and is a system. And we're specifically talking about slavery in America. Slavery is a system. Slavery was deliberately structured to produce a plantation mentality. Make a mental note of plantation mentality because we're going to talk about that. Slavery was designed by racist, prejudiced men to create five things. Slavery was designed to create, number one, a doctrine of inferiority. Number two, a sense of inadequacy. Number three, a negative self-concept. Now, number four, dependency on the white world. And number five, division of the races. History is important because I believe there are psychological vestiges of slavery in the black and white experience today. I want to talk under the heading of slavery about a co conspiracy. Now, you have to understand that genuine Christianity and uncompromised preaching presented a barrier to the justification of slavery. Whenever there's genuine Christianity, and when, whenever there's uncompromised preaching, you cannot have slavery. So prejudiced men, white men, came up with two tools to justify slavery. Two number one was the tool of legislation, and two number two was the tool of the Bible. Under legislation, the tool of legislation, there was an unwritten law that Christians could not be held as a slave. Consequently, if blacks were allowed to be converted, they could not be held as a slave. To get around this dilemma, laws were enacted that stated that conversion did not lead to the release of servitude. That is why all the protests and the the legal protests that's taking place today in our country is so important and so critical because there must be legislative changes, the change of laws and procedures and policies. Prejudice, white men also use the tool of the Bible. In 1807, they created or produced the Slave Bible. The Slave Bible was produced in England, and it was a redacted version of the Bible. Redacted means an edited version, a a version that's edited to take out sensitive information. So, in this redacted version of the Bible, the slave Bible, it had all the references of freedom and escape and equality removed. In other words, Moses leading the people out of Egyptian bondage was not in the slave Bible. Galatians 3:28 talking about equality, was not in the slave Bible. It kept, the slave Bible kept parts of the Bible that dealt with submission and obedience to authority. In America, slave owners and ministers, white ministers, followed suit. They were in an agreement and entered into a partnership with a partnership that, believe (laughs) on the basis of the belief that preaching edited versions or portions of the Bible would make better slaves. Now I'm saying that white ministers and slave owners were in agreement, enter into a partnership on the belief that selected portions of the Bible edited portions of the Bible would make slaves better workers and serve as security against infidelity and rebellion. So slavery in America lasted two hundred and forty six years. It existed and persisted so long because of the white church. The church had sanctioned slavery And the church gave its approval to slave owners to practice slavery and call themselves Christians. Now, that's why it was important for me to mention theologians and white ministers in the past like C.I. Schofield, because white evangelicalism fostered, supported, and was a co-creator to racial prejudice and slavery. Now, as time passed, and this is just a summary, as time passed, there was a reaction to this redacted version or this edited version of the Bible. The black church was birthed out of racial prejudice. Blacks wanted to express themselves. They wanted to participate, but they were rejected by the white church, and so the black church began. Other movements like the black power movements and and, uh, black Muslim movements in America also began to spring out, and they communicated that the Bible and Christianity Was the white man's religion. I think history is very important because there are psychological vestiges of slavery and that mentality in the world today. Now let's move. I move fast through that. But let's now spend a little more time talking about genuine Christianity. And I want you to say that genuine Christianity. To say it. Genuine Christianity. Now, genuine Christianity is what destroyed slavery. The infant church in Paul's day was under the umbrella of Rome. Close to 90% of the population in Rome were slaves. Now, they were slaves not because of skin color or ethnicity. In Rome, they were slaves because they were captives of war. They were slaves out of indebtedness. They had gotten in debt. But the slaves in Rome was different than the slaves in America because slaves in Rome had rights. And they also had the opportunity to hold on to their family units. Now, Paul challenged slavery, but he did not challenge the slaves to revolt and burn down Rome and loot Rome. He understood that the wrath of man does not work God's righteousness. So, the Apostle Paul attacks the institution of slavery at its spiritual roots. Now, listen carefully, through preaching. Preaching of the gospel. I want you to hear that because that's a key element to restoration, reconciliation, a preaching of the gospel. A preaching of the gospel. The thread, let's look at slavery for a moment, and then let's look at what Paul preached. The thread, of slavery is disrespect, harsh treatment, superiority, inequality, unfair treatment, and non-personhood. Now, what the slave owners did, they took part of what Paul said, a redacted version, an edited version, and they talked about the submission and obedience to master. But when you look at Paul's teaching, In Ephesians 6 and 5, he did not just address the slave, he also addressed the slave owners. He said, and you masters do so also. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul talked about that in Christ, there's neither bond nor free. So he says that in Christ, there's no such thing as a slave and a free person. In Colossians chapter four, he he told the masters to give your servants that which is just and equal. And then in Philemon verses 15 through 16, he talked about the brotherhood of Christians, the brotherhoods of Christians. So when you understand that Paul was preaching now to both the slave and the slave owner, the slave master, you understand that he was unraveling the thread of slavery. I have on a shirt today and, and, and there are buttons on this shirt. And it I can, I can remove the buttons off of this shirt two ways. I can snatch it off. But if I snatch the button off, then I will tear the garment. Or I can deliberately cut loose or unravel the thread in the button, and I can preserve the garment. That's what the apostle Paul did in his preaching. He talked about mutual respect. Well, if you got mutual respect, you can't have slavery. He talked about kindness forbear threatening. Well, you can't have kindness in a relationship and have slavery. He talked about impartiality. He talked about equality. Paul knew you can't have equality and impartiality and have slavery. He talked about being fair and not being just. Both slave owner and slave is hearing the same thing, and it's impossible to have slavery. He talked about true brotherhood. So it's impossible to have slavery if you have true brotherhood. Paul preached against slavery by unraveling the thread of slavery, but the slave master redacted or edited what Paul was saying. Now listen to me carefully. So what, we're talking about Christianity. So what must the church do? What must we do? Well, racism, listen very carefully. Racism is a generational curse. It's a spirit of division. It's a mental stronghold. Racism is a way of thinking established over a period of time, fortified by custom and resistant to change. So you're not going to break racism with legislation alone because you have to deal with the hearts of men. Now, listen to me. The church, both black and white. Remember, I don't personally believe that there's a black church and a white church. God didn't create it. But we did. So the church, both black and white, must preach the gospel, must preach the gospel, must preach. The Bible says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So listen carefully. We can't just preach general sermons about love and general sermons about generosity and general sermons about service. It will not destroy racial prejudice and racism. Now, listen, all of us that are in ministry, we preachers, we ministers of the gospel must preach clear, specific biblical teaching on race and race relations. And then we must talk about in Christ realities. Now let's talk about the black preacher and the black pastor and the black minister. The black minister must preach in this area in order to break the power of anger over black people. We must break the power of anger. And what I mean by that, we must preach so that our members will have the strength and the grace to be angry and sin not. Anger is a powerful force. It is a natural force, but it must be controlled. It must be managed. The Bible does not tell us to not be angry, but it tells us to be angry and sin not. So the preaching by black pastor will assist the black Christian in being able to manage and use that angle in a a constructive way. And it will also break the power of reactionary racism. You see, there are some black Christians in our churches that hate white people because of their experience of injustice, experience of racism. But racism is sin period, regardless who it is. White ministers must preach specific, clear biblical sermons on race and racism in order to break, listen carefully, in order to break the power of generational and environmental racism. Now, listen to me, white Christians. Listen to me, white pastors. Listen carefully to me. There are white people in churches, and most churches, white churches, are homogeneous. They're full or completely white members, okay? And there are white members in these white churches that hate black people and see them as inferior. And when white people say this, listen to me, I want to educate white people. When you say to us that you give to black people, when you say to us that you send missionaries to Africa, you help in the inner city, there is a difference between you helping us and seeing us on an equal level. It is possible to send missionaries to Africa. It is possible to help inner cities here in America and still see black people as inferior. Now, black, white pastors, you've got to preach. You've got to preach the word because another reason, there is institutional racism. Most of the decision-making white pastors, most of the decision-making, policy-making positions in our country, in government, the judicial system, media, business, military, police departments, most of these decision-making positions, power positions, are held by white people. And many of those white people are in your congregations. And if you don't teach the word in this area, they're going to manage these positions out of their prejudice, thoughts and mindsets, because nothing will break the power of that mindset. Just attending a Christian church saying, I like black people. i got black friends. It will not change it. You have to preach. You've got to preach, not generic sermons about love, not just generic ser- sermons about generosity. You've got to get in there and you got to be honest like I'm going to be honest today. Okay. When I talk about Christianity, I'm not talking about Christianity as a brand. I brought that up in our last session, Christianity as a brand. Much of what we have Christianity today is a brand. It, 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 it has no power to it. Branded Christianity causes Christians to fall from having a voice to becoming a vote. Branded Christianity embraces some parts of the Bible and excludes or edits other parts of the Bible, like the slave Bible. Now, listen to me carefully, because I'm going to say something that's going to be a little bit different. It may be a little bit different than what you've heard. I'm talking about Christianity, and I'm contrasting genuine Christianity with branded Christianity. Believers, black and white, can register under party affiliation. And they may be and should be, I think, active in politics. But Christians should not identify Christianity and the church with a political party as the only Christian party. When we do that, Christian, there is an inherent division. Now, let's talk about it. This is an honest discussion. Many white evangelical national leaders are turning black Christians off because they are communicating that the Republican Party is the party for committed Christians. Now, I I have to be transparent with you. I personally supported a white evangelical national leader for years. I love him. I've learned from him, I've been blessed by his ministry, but in recent times, it has shifted into branded Christianity, a branded, and, and there have been platforms that have been set up on the broadcast, and, and people, and, and much of it has been related to the platform of the Republican Party. And I, I, I heard him say something, and, and when I heard him say it, it, it was a very subtle, and then in some cases not subtle, way to shift people over into the Republican Party because they talk about the platform of the Republican Party, and they bring up abortion, and they bring up the issue of marriage and, and same-sex marriage. And when a Christian now evaluate the Bible in the light of abortion, any honest, sincere Christian will have to admit that the Bible is pro-life. If any honest Christian would evaluate the Bible in the light of marriage, then the Bible communicates heterosexual marriage. It says a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And it says now that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. So the scriptures communicate heterosexual marriage marriage between a man and a wife. Okay, so then the evangelistic leader, the evangelical leader, the minister say, see there, I told you the Republican Party is the party for committed Christians. And then I heard this minister that I stopped supporting. I personally stopped giving toward it because he said, I will not support any platform that's killing babies. I heard him say that with my own ears. Well, now when we look on the other hand and we look at the Democratic Party and we look at its platform, we see things in the platform like social justice. We see things like racial equality. We see things like equal opportunity. And even in the protest today, we see Democratic politicians kneeling, supporting the protests on one hand, and then we see our president, the leader of the Republican Party, talking about dominating and calling in the military and all those things as it relates to what's going on. Now, listen, when we talk about, uh, I'm talking about branded Christianity. The, the Democratic Party leans more toward the biblical command to lift up the poor and to defend the rights of the oppressed. You see, Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen 16 the new living translation is just as much Bible as quoted about abortion and homosexuality and gay marriage. The Bible says in Jeremiah 22 verse 16, the new living translation, it says he gave justice and help to the poor and needy and everything went well with him. And then God says this, isn't that what it means to know me? Says the Lord. Think about it. God himself says to know him is to care for the needy and care for the poor. Yet in the Republican party, if there's too much emphasis on helping the poor, Now, this is an honest discussion now. If there's too much emphasis on helping the poor and the needy, it's called government giveaway programs, and it's called socialism. In other words, we can't help poor people too much. They got got to do something for themselves. Racism, and I'm talking now to white, evangelical Republican Christians, Racism is a sin. Galatians 3.28 talks about equality among all people. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the book of Luke, Jesus taught about a man who risked his life to give materially to help someone of a different race and a different religion. In the Republican Party, there are many white evangelical ministers and white Christians that are silent on the issues of racial equality. They say that abortion kills, we killing babies, but racism is one of the greatest historical killers in history. Racism over the centuries have killed humans, people. Racism killed dreams, killed potential, it kills identity, it kills, it kills unity. Racism is a killer. But many white evangelical Christians, and I'm talking to my brethren, white evangelical ministers believe that there's no systematic, no systemic racism. There's no white privilege. The playing field is level. Racial discrimination was dissolved in the 60s with the Civil Rights Movement and confirmed and evidenced by two-term, a two-term president of Barack Obama. So there is no racism. What is all this fuss? Let's forget about this racism. Y'all just y'all just be quiet. Come on. Let's get the economy together. I'm talking about an honest discussion. An honest discussion. We're never going to be unified if we don't have honest discussions. Now, here's what I hear when the Republicans... I'm not saying all black people hear this. This is what I hear when I hear... White evangelicals talking, I hear this. If black people would stop being lazy, work hard, and stop being so bad, they could get ahead. Now, that's what my ears hear. What am I saying? I'm saying that every party wants Jesus on their side. Every party. But Jesus is not a Republican, Jesus is not a Democrat, and Jesus is not an independent. No one party or candidate is right on all the issues and beliefs that Christians hold. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus Christ does not neatly fit in any side of the political spectrum what I'm I saying, I am saying that in Christ, there's neither Democrat or Republican. There's neither conservative or liberal. There's neither left or right. What am I saying? And I'm talking to the church. The gospel should never. I'm going to say this again. The gospel should never. I'll say it one more time. The gospel should never be tied to a politician. And we've made President Trump the second coming. The gospel should never be tied to a politician, to a candidate, or a party. If we tie Christianity to a party, then we cannot hold anyone accountable. That's the second bucket. I got two more buckets that I need to get to. Let's talk about, because we gotta talk about black self-hate and white folk looting. We can't, we we gotta get to those. Those are good things. Let's talk about black self-hate. And I wanna talk about a plantation mentality, a plantation mentality. You see, there are psychological vestiges psychological vestiges that are manifest in itself, not just in white America. And I'm talking to the church now, the white church. It's not only manifested in white Christian churches and white Christians. There are psychological vestiges of slavery that's manifested in blacks and the black church and the black experience. I call it black self-hate. We could also call it a plantation mentality. Now, before I introduce, I want to introduce this by bringing up this N word, the word nigger. It is a six letter word that really is the most hateful, most contemptuous, the most derogatory word that was ever created. It, 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 no Christian black, no Christian white, and no person should never have that word It is in their vocabulary. It is, it is a derogatory word. It is, it is a, an adaptation of the Latin word Niger. And Niger is a Western Africa country. But it was was translated in a a derogatory sense. So I use it only in a derogatory sense today. Now, listen to me very carefully. I went to Webster. I thought it was very interesting. I went to Webster and looked up the word nigger, N-I-G-G-E-R. I looked up the word nigger, and Webster defines nigger as a black person. I saw it in the Bible. I saw it in the Bible. It was in the it was in the, not the Bible, department, It was in the dictionary. Nigger is a black person, that Webster said. He says, is a member of a socially disadvantaged class of person. In other words, he's saying that the word nigger really, in, in all of it, speaks to someone that's inferior. That's, it speaks to someone that is unrefined, untrained, and inferior. Now, in slavery days, in slavery days, you had what was called the field nigger, and you had the house nigger. The field nigger worked out in the field. It was hard working out in the field, and you worked out in the field all day long, you know. And then you had the house nigger. From time to time, the slave owner would bring a nigger, I'm using it in the context that they used it, they would bring a field nigger in the house, okay? The slave master's desire always was to control what he called the niggers. So he wanted the field niggers to be against the house niggers. So he would bring black women and black men into the house. And the black women... Would work in the kitchen, they would raise the children and all those kind of things. And they would dress the black person up, the, the, the house nigger, dress her up and she look all pretty. And it felt like, it felt like she had been promoted and it felt like that she was in a better position. Okay? But the slave master also would sleep with the the female house nigger okay he would sleep sometimes have children and then they the children became slaves too what am i saying i am saying even though the female was brought in the house the master never looked at her as equal to her to his wife cuz she was just a nigger okay he bring in a, a male slave into the house he was just a nigger house slave he was trained to watch the field niggers. He was trained to snitch on the field niggers. He was sometimes encouraged to even given the authority to whip the field niggers. So what you got going on here, but but the master never looked at that male, what he called a nigger as equal. So what you got here is you got the blacks in the field, hating the blacks in the house. And that's what he wanted. He wanted there to be some hate going on there that the blacks in the field didn't trust the blacks in the house, and the blacks in the house didn't trust the blacks in the field. And the strange thing about the blacks in the house, they started looking down on the blacks that were in the field, yet the ones in the field and the ones in the house were still unequal. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, Talk about this plantation mentality. Slavery robbed male slaves. It robbed male slaves of their role as protector and provider. Slavery programmed the male slaves to be irresponsible. When we look at present day challenges, there are 70% of African-American children are raised by single parents Now, I I think we got to hold ourselves accountable for that. I think black men got to hold themselves accountable for that. When you look at sexual exploitation, male slaves were studs whose job was to make baby slaves. Women was treated as sexual objects to satisfy the desires of the slave owner and the slave driver or others. And when we look at it today, Men are still acting like studs. I'm talking. I'm. I'm talking to preachers. I'm talking to us. I'm talking to black men, black Christian men. You in these church, and all you running from. You running from women to women, sleeping from women to women. That's a plantation mentality. That is a plantation mentality to sleep with this one, drop this one, sleep with this one, drop this one, sleep with this one, and drop this one. And now you got all these black, young black single women, beautiful, uh, intelligent black, they don't even know who to look to now because in the church, even in church, you got black men that are studs. That's a plantation mentality. There was a standard of ugliness in slavery days. The light-skinned slaves with features closer to the masters were treated better. Well, now, a lot of times, Blacks think the same way. They look at color of skin, hair texture, and facial features. And then there was self-hate in slavery days. The slaves were taught to devalue Black lives. When we look on the other side presently, we see this Black-on-Black crime. In slavery, the slavers were trained to have disunity and mistrust. So slaves were discouraged from uniting. They couldn't get together, they couldn't unite and they couldn't partner. Slaves were rewarded for backstabbing and betraying and snitching. Slaves were pitted against each other. Light-skinned slaves were against the dog-skinned slaves. The house slaves were against the field slaves. And when we look today, we see blacks struggling, working with other blacks. We see blacks talking about other black successful people because of jealousy. We see the goods and services created by blacks or believed by other blacks to be inferior. During the slave days, slaves weren't allowed to read and be intelligent and strong. And even today, we have a dumbing down syndrome where kids ridicule other kids because they are smart. You know what's tragic about it? It's because it's not just in the world. This psychological vestiges, psychological vestiges, psychological vestiges, this this reprogramming, this this mindset of self-hate, this plantation mentality. We see black ministers talking about other black ministers, black ministers getting in the pulpit, talking about other black ministers. We see black Christians talking about other black Christians. We see black Christians who attend white churches are criticized by other black Christians. So if a black Christian moves over into a a white church, then black Christians look at them as a sellout. These are things that we got to deal with. If God leaves a person to cross over, whatever you want to call it, God can do that. My question, my concern has never been that. I believe that God can lead a person anywhere he wants to lead them. I don't have any problem with that. I've never thought it was wrong for a black person to go to a white church. Never. My problem, and we're going to talk about this next week. My problem, we're going to talk about this next week, is why white people are not crossing over to black churches. But we won't talk, we won't talk about that today. We won't talk about that today. And then you got black Christians who cross over into white churches Turn around, is a plantation mentality, turn around and talk about black churches. I'm not talking about what I heard, what somebody told me. No, no. I had a a, a Christian talk to me and let me know that he was not talking about me or Faith Chapel because that's the way we do it. But he had moved over to a white church and he was talking about these black churches and black churches don't do this and black churches don't do that. That's that plantation mentality start coming up. And then you got. Christians that have moved over into white churches, they turn around and talk about all them black The black church is not doing anything for the community. black church is doing this. The black church is doing that. The black church, and you black, and you black, and then talk about all the black churches when you've not been in every black church. And if you've been in every black church in Birmingham, that shows something about your instability. You've not been, and there are powerful, anointed black pastors all through this city. I can name them. They are powerful. They are anointed and they are doing things for the city. You just don't know about it. And you sit in a white church talking about black churches. That's a plantation. Oh Lord, a plantation mentality. And I think, I think is. um, I think that our black film directors, I think our music, pro- film producers, our music producers, our comedians gotta stop feeding us plantation food. Everything cussing, everything cussing, everything is sex. Nothing helps us. Our black film producers gotta help us. Gotta help us, give us some positive, lift us up. Black folk don't cuss every other word. We don't curse every other word. You can be funny without cursing every other word. Lift us up. Come on, help us. And then black Christians, you got to start, black people, you got to start supporting things that are decent, things that come out that are clean and deep. Well, that's boring. We don't want to hear that. No, that's called black self-hate and a plantation mentality. Now, I got one more bucket to go. I think we got to talk now about white folk looting, white folk looting. I think all of us or most of us have, um, most of us have watched television and saw the riots and the looting. And, um, most of the riots and the lootings are black people burning stuff down. And, but we also see some white people coming in there. They're getting them some stuff, too. You know, they walking in there and getting them some stuff, too. But that's really not the looting that I want to talk about. The word loot or looting means to sack, S-A-C-K. It means to rob of valuables after capture. The word loot means to despoil. It means to strip of belongings, things that belong to others. The word looting means to remove or take things by force. You know, I'm quite sure I'm a black person. And I know that most of the, the, the looting and the burning really is a, it's a, it's a, it's changing the narrative. It is, it is, Um, a distraction. And the real truth of the matter is most of the people are protesting legally. It's just those things. So when you're looking at that looting, whether you're black or white, I'm quite sure. I know as a black person I'll be thinking to myself, why do we loot our communities burn down our buildings, burn up our communities. Why do we do that? There has to be a plantation mentality there. But I believe when white people look at the looting, I'm quite sure they be thinking, look at them black folk. And then I believe probably that the white supremacist probably say, that's what I'm talking about. See them niggas out there, they, they out there, they tearing up stuff. But what about the looting that white folk have done? What about white folk looting? What about white folk looting biblical history? What about white folk looting world history? What about white folk looting American history? You know, many white people and some black people don't know that there were black people in the Old Testament. Nimrod in Genesis 10 was a black man. He was a brilliant organizer, a leader, and empire builder. A black man was the first world ruler. Jethro in Exodus 18 was a black man. He was the father, uh, father-in-law of Moses. Hobab in Numbers 10 was a black man. He was the son of Moses, and he was Moses' scout through the wilderness. The queen of Sheba was a black woman. Many people don't know that Zephaniah, the prophet, was a black man. In Zephaniah one, he was the writer of the Old Testament book. Zephaniah was, a, was of the lineage of Cush, And you'll see that in Zephaniah 1 and 1, and Cush was a descendant of Ham, who was the father of the colored or the the black race. Many people don't know that Abraham married a black woman, Moses married a black woman, David married a black woman, and Joseph married a black woman. Many people do know that Simeon of Cyrene in the New Testament in Mark 15, who helped Jesus with the cross, was a black person. Alexander and Rufus in Mark 15 were companions of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was close to Alexander and Rufus who were black men. He was very close to their mother. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was a black person. He was a person of authority on the candies, the queen of Ethiopia. And many people don't know that there were black leaders in the first Christian church at Antioch. That's Antioch, That's Acts chapter 13, verse one. There was two black. There were five leaders mentioned in the text. Barnabas and Saul was mentioned. Paul was mentioned. But there were two black people, black leaders. They were either a prophet or teacher in the first Christian church, that's Acts 13. Simeon was called Niger, and Niger means black. Remember, Niger is a West African country named after the Niger River. He was a black man. He was a prophet and a teacher. Lucius of Cyrene is also in Acts 13.1. He was a black man from northern Africa. He was a prophet or a teacher. Many people believe that Simon, the Canaanite, one of Jesus' disciples, was a descendant of Ham because his ethnicity is the only ethnicity that's mentioned in uh, the recordings. Now, when we talk about world history, we see many people read the Bible and they don't understand that the Bible is a multicultural, multiracial book. What if we had been taught as kids that there were black people in the Bible? What, how would that have inspired us? What about world history? World history is recorded in Genesis chapter 10, The descendants of Ham, the father of the the people of color, ruled most of the known world during the first 2,000 years of world history. The descendants of Ham, the father of the uh, people of color, were culturally, politically, and numerically dominant in the ancient world. Black people were building empires, organizing governments, and building tremendous governments. The Greek scholar, A Greek scholar stated that the descendants of Ham were the most advanced people on the earth at this time. They were highly intelligent, creative, technologically advanced, so advanced that Europeans borrowed most of their ideas from black people. A lot of people say this, people in the West, white people in the West believe that they brought civilization and culture to black people. But the Greeks learned culture from the ancient Egyptians. Now, if you think that I am missing the point, then I want you to read Psalms 105 verse 23 and Psalms 106 verse 21 through 22 ancient Egypt. Now listen to me, ancient G- Egypt, was known as the land of Ham. Read it. It's in the Bible. Ancient Egypt was known as the land of Ham. Ham was the father of people of color. The ancient Egyptians, black people were proficient in mathematics, medicine, engineering, and architecture. The great pyramids, all oh, we talk about the pyramids, we talk about the pyramids, the pyramids, were built by black people. Now we have to, we have to, (laughs) we have to ask ourselves this question. Why did they tear off the nose off the pyramids? Why the, why the nose? Why was the nose damaged off the pyramids? Maybe you can do some research on that. People of color gave the world what has become modern calculus. Modern calculus came from People of color. By two, 2900 BC, mathematics was a formal subject to be studied in Egyptian universities. Egypt's advancement in education was known around the world. Moses was educated by black people. That's Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Egypt was a land of great wealth controlled by people of color. The ancient Egyptians. Ancient Egyptian was the fashion capital of the world. Maybe that's why black folk like clothes. The Egyptians were the first to tame wild horses, breed them, and bring forth the finest horses in the earth. So there we see white folk looted biblical history. White folk has looted uh, world history. Let's talk about American history as I begin to close. I want to mention some black inventors and their inventions. These individuals either invented or improved on what we use today. And I want you to answer the question. You've studied history, you read history books. Were any of these people in the history books? Now, listen at this the air conditioning unit, Frederick M. Jones, all of these are people of color. The clothes dryer, J.T. Sampson. Automatic gear shift, Richard Spikes. Automatic opening and closing elevator door, Alexander Miles. Fire extinguisher, T. Marshall. Fountain pen, W.B. Purvis. Guitar, Robert F. Fleming, Jr. Lawn mower, L.A. Burr. Lawn sprinkler, J.W. Smith. Mailbox, Paul L. Downing, Refrigerator, J. Standard, Traffic Light, Garrett Morgan, Typewriter, Burridge and Marshman, Potato Chips, George Crumb, Carbon Filament Light Bulb, Lewis Lattimore, Gas Mask, Garrett A. Morgan, Blood Banks, Dr. Charles Richard Drew, Closed Circuit Television Security System, Marie Van Britton Brown and Albert Brown, Lyser, Faco, Fope, Probe and cataract surgery procedures, Dr. Patricia Bath, Thousand uses of the peanut, George Washington Carver, Pioneer of open heart surgery, Daniel H. Williams. Let me give some closing statements. These are my closing statements. Closing statements. You may not agree with everything I'm saying, but it is something that we have to think about. And all I want is black people to understand their history, and I want white people to understand the history. Listen at this. In American history, as I close, slaves were not considered a person. They were not considered a person. So their ideas and inventions belonged to the slave owners. So how many of these ideas and inventions that the slave owners took credit that really came from the slave? post Civil War, freed slaves, lacked capital. They were considered three-fifths of a person. They lacked the capital and the freedom to patent their products. And they also lacked the capital to finance their businesses. So how many patents were taken by whites who really was invented by blacks? How many business ideas that started in the mind of black people listen at this? That means, and this this can be shocking, that means that much of what we call American history is either incomplete or untrue. All of the great black baseball players, think about the black baseball players, who were shut out of, of baseball and had to form the Negro League. Think about all those ba- black baseball players, and some of them were better than people who was in the white league. Think about Jesse Robinson, Jackie Robinson. I've been told by others that Jackie Robinson was not the black best black baseball player in the Negro League, but yet he came in, introduced blacks into, into baseball, and was just absolutely amazing. So what if it's not really true, all these records? What if it's incomplete that all these records that were held by white people may not really be true? Think about it. Elvis was called the king of rock and roll. Where did he get it from? Did he just create it? And I love Elvis, so I ain't put down Elvis. I love me some Elvis. But where did he get it? Now here's the thing, here's the thing that I think blacks and whites need to see. How much inspiration and motivation that black children lost. Think about all the black kids raised up and never seeing their face or never seeing anybody their color in these books and this and records and this think about how much inspiration was looted, how much motivation was looted, Just think about that for just a moment. I think every Christian, just think about it. I don't I'm not saying that white people are, or present day white people are responsible for what happened in slavery. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that there are psychological vestiges of mindsets that pass from generation to generation. And I am saying that if you are a white Christian and you have some understanding of history, at least you will have compassion at least have some compassion and have some empathy to just say there's no racism and everything. I think that's, I think that's dishonest. I think, I think that's dishonest. I talked about slavery. I talked about genuine Christianity. I talked about black self hate and I talked about white folk looting. I know I spent a whole lot of time, but I just wanted to get it out. So we can talk about it now. I got a few questions. Okay. Based on what you've shared, how do we trust white preachers? I have listened to many that seem godly as I know it. Well, the issue, the issue for you, because this has to be coming from a black person. The issue for you is technically not to trust. It's not an issue of you trusting white preachers. It's not even an issue of you trusting black preachers. It's an issue of you being led by the spirit. Think about it. You you, you can't you can't outwardly see a person's heart. You can't. Now the Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. So we should be have some fruit inspection. But I don't think it. I don't think it's an issue of. I'm not going trust all I, I'm not going to trust all white preachers because we're not saying that all white preachers are racist we're not we're not even saying that I think it's an issue I am challenging white preachers to deal with the subject that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to challenge to not just ignore and talk surface but I don't think it's an issue of trust I think it's an issue of being led by the spirit listen i I don't, I don't feel any hatred in me, and I, I feel like I can go wherever God wants me to leave. Now, there may be some flack from black people or white people, but I think I should go where the Spirit of God leads me. How do you feel about most young black people thinking African Americans are Hebrew Israelites? Well, I think that's a good question. I've run into that. I've had them try to convert me and talk to me about that. Uh... Now this is my position. I I don't give no attention to that. I, I don't give no attention to that. Cause see, when you start bringing up stuff like the apocalypse and all that kind of stuff, and and I don't I don't give attention to that. I think that's a distraction. I think it's I think it's leading black people over into an arena. Uh, I think is I think is a perversion. I think it is a distortion of scripture. Uh, I don't think it's God. That's my personal opinion. I don't think it's God when I look at the scriptures. Do you think when black people, Christians talk badly about mega churches, that is plantation mentality? Yeah, sometimes it is. I think sometimes it is the plantation mentality. I, I um I I I wanted you to see that in slavery days when a person left the field and went to the house, the people in the field got upset about it. So sometimes if if you are upset about somebody leaving one race and going to another race and it bothers you, then I think that's a plantation mentality because the bottom line on it, people should be led by the spirit. They they shouldn't be led by race. They should be led by the spirit. So yes, I believe that's a plantation mentality. Set. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. That was heavy.